The imagination is a powerful thing. It inspires us to dream big. It gives us the courage to go after those dreams and turn them into a reality. And if those dreams don't exactly match the reality, the imagination helps us to lie about it. Now, lie is such a harsh sounding thing. Let's call it a tall tale. There sets the stage for the story of Al Jennings, the fastest, most deadliest gunslinger that never was. Welcome, my name is Elizabeth Bougeret, and I'm that person when studying the many facets of history likes to peek behind the curtain, investigate hidden passages, drop into the rabbit hole, or dare to walk in the shadows, because we all know that's where the good stories can be found. Take a listen then to discover what dark or peculiar pieces of American history can be found in my bag of bones. Now, the factual history of Al Jennings, the fourth son of five children, was born November 25, 1863, in Virginia. The family was escaping the battles of the raging Civil War, so poor Al was born in an abandoned schoolhouse as they hid out until the mother was able to travel again. We know that his family traveled from Virginia to the Ohio Territories. The patriarch of the Jennings family was J.D.F. Jennings. Depending on who was speaking, his reputation was either stunning, one of patriotism and integrity, or scheming, one who pastored churches and practiced law, but left a trail of debt behind him as they went. So, the lines of right and wrong might have already been a little fuzzy in young Al's head. He grew to be headstrong and a dreamer, and after leaving the protection of his family at the young age of 11, he set out on his own. He bounced around the Midwest for a time and came under the tutelage of rancher Jim Stanton, who taught him everything he needed to know about cattle and horses, roping, and introduced him to the Colt 45. But he also supplied him with all the reading he could ever want and awakened Al's desire for learning and higher education. He stayed with Jim Stanton and the 101 Ranch until his mentor, a man he'd come to love like a father, was shot in the back by a hired outlaw from a rival ranch. Al accompanied his fellow ranchers in the revenge party, which did end up catching the culprit, and he watched the man breathe his last breath because of two bullets in his head. There was no retribution. There was no law searching for this killer. Al received his first lesson in frontier justice. He eventually headed east and got his law degree, then moved to Oklahoma where his family decided to settle. He served as a prosecuting attorney in the Canadian County from 1892 to 1894 before he moved to Woodward, Oklahoma to join the law practice of his older brothers, John and Ed. Which, by the way, is where I met up with this story at the Plains Indians and Pioneer Museum, where he had his very own exhibit. I thought his story was unique and showed up with a little bit of light and a little bit of darkness and a touch of humor, and it would be perfect to share with you. So the dark side of his history can be traced back to one evening when these brothers were involved in a fight at a local saloon with the opposing attorney. That attorney was Temple Lee Houston. He was considered a local celebrity of sorts, being the youngest attorney in Texas when he opened his practice, and then by the time he moved his family to Woodward, Oklahoma, he had already served on the Texas Senate, spoke several languages, 
could debate the nuances of the Bible in classic literature, and his dedication address for the opening of the Texas State Capitol is still recognized today. He was known to wear a Colt revolver at all times, which he named Old Betsy, and the people claimed he was the best shot in the West. He was quite the performer in the courtroom and a smooth talker. At the conclusion of a fierce battle in the courtroom, opposing attorneys ended up at the saloon and following a few drinks, the arguments heated up, threats were made, and shots were fired. Ed Jennings, the eldest, was shot in the back twice and killed, and Brother John was shot in the arm, only injured. When superstar attorney Houston was acquitted, Al felt betrayed by the legal system, gave up law, and decided to be a cowboy. His closest brother, Frank, decided to follow suit. They felt they had to leave the town of Woodward, afraid their own rage against Houston would turn into action, and their father, the territory's own judge, begged him not to retaliate. Al wrote in his book, quote, From that time forth I knew we were outlaws in spirit. The rest came as gradually and easily as sliding down a hill. End quote. So, as the story goes, he gained an official outlaw status by accident. It all started when he was accused of being part of a train robbery in 1896, and he didn't even know it. When his father appealed to him and asked him to turn himself in, it was the first he'd heard of it. Al took this information and just never bothered to tell anyone otherwise. He had his first bounty over his head, a proud mark for any outlaw. Not much later, he was in a small town country store where he stopped to buy some crackers and cheese. There were about six men inside the store, plus the shopkeeper. He knew the men were watching him, but they never approached him or spoke to him, so he went about his business. As he tried to leave, he was soon under fire, and when he looked back, several men were coming at him with guns blazing. When the men shot his horse out from underneath him, he says, quote, I jerked my Winchester from the scabbard and ran toward them, firing blind. According to Jennings, this act of bravery, or crazy, sent all the men running into hiding. He scared them all into the woods. He decided that if they're going to think he was a criminal, he'd show them. I smashed the cash drawer with the butt of my gun, he says, robbed it of $27.50, mounted a horse that was hitched outside the door, and rode away. There, in the spirit of a fellow who misses a man and kicks a dog, I committed my first crime. Hello listeners, we are Katie, Amber, Kylie, and Matt, and we are the hosts of Save Me an Isle Seat, a show that talks about musicals in an understandable and relatable way. If you like musicals or theater in general, or if you're interested in them but don't know where to start, we'd love to help introduce you. Come find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or on our website at www.ragtagnetwork.com. And we'll be sure to save you an aisle seat. At some point, brothers Frank and Al connected with some other B-rated bandits. And Al, with his big dreams and smooth talk, soon found himself the leader of the Jennings Gang. Al, feeling that he had been around outlaws for long enough, and he knew the ins and outs of banditry, took his role as leader, deciding that robbing trains was going to be their claim to fame. Their first attempt was late on August 16, 1897. They were able to stop the train, 
but were not able to shoot or blow the safe. They walked away embarrassed and empty-handed. Only a few nights later, they were prepared with more dynamite determined to blow the safe. Al Jennings himself stood in the middle of the train tracks, waving a red flag in one hand and a torch in the other, demanding the engineer to bring the train to a halt so it could be properly robbed. The train kept coming closer with no signs of slowing down. Closer, closer still, until in the last final moments, Al was forced to dive from the tracks as the train opened up the throttle and pushed right on through. Still no robbery, but the gang lived to try again another day. And try, they did. Poised by the side of the train tracks, their horses and guns ready, they waited for the train to approach. As the train rounded the corner, the Jennings gang burst from their hiding place, guns blazing as they came alongside the train. In their most intimidating tone, they yelled at the engineer to stop the train. The story goes that the engineer leaned from the window and waved at the bandits and just kept going. The horses eventually grew tired and were no longer to keep up, so they ended up stopping to watch their chances of riches and fame chug off into the sunset. Which brings us to Minko, Oklahoma. This train robbery. Now this train robbery is the one that put the Jennings gang in the history books. A robbery so legendary. It's so, uh, unique that it is rumored to be the inspiration for a scene in the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It goes a little something like this. The train was already stopped at a routine water check just south of Minko, Oklahoma. They were already ahead of the game. They went straight to the baggage car and, just to be sure, loaded up the sturdy black safe with all of the dynamite. The bandits and the baggage clerk dove from the rail car to safety and waited for the dynamite to blow. Frank supposedly asked, How much dynamite did you use? And Al answered confidently, All of it, of course. You've got to use a lot of dynamite to dent a big safe like that. A few moments later, the entire baggage car exploded, raining down slivers of wood, shards of iron, and smoking ash from papers. But no cash. No coin. Not about to leave empty-handed, they turned to robbing the passengers of the other cars. The bandits escaped with a handful of cash, some whiskey, and one of the members even absconded with a pair of new boots. They wisely decided that perhaps robbing trains was not meant to be their thing. Choosing a more, uh, stationary setting, the gang found their way to Cushing, Oklahoma, where they robbed a general store that also happened to be a post office. After some surveillance, they found that the store was unattended during the night hours, and when it was suggested that they rob it during it this time, Al shouted back, We're robbers, not burglars, so it must be a daylight job. While the robbery was deemed a success, they surely spread fear into the hearts of the citizens of Cushing, Oklahoma, but only got away with $15. This job was to be their last. The Jennings gang voted to disband. But unfortunately, not before they caught the attention of the law. One of the meanest, nastiest marshals in the Oklahoma Territory was Marshal Bud Ledbetter. He and his men tracked down the entire gang, and in 1899, after a shootout at their hideout, 
Al Jennings and his brother Frank were caught a week later, both healing from gunshot wounds. They were tried in a court of law. Frank was only sentenced to five years in Leavenworth, but Al, being the mastermind of the group, was sentenced to life in prison to be served at the Ohio Penitentiary. He became inmate number 31539. They took away my name, he says. This was the ends of their misdeeds as outlaws. The whole of it netted them only $200 and lasted a whopping 108 days. His time in the Ohio State Penitentiary was well spent with light duty where he befriended fellow inmate and embezzler William Sidney Porter, who later became known as the popular short story author O. Henry. Al, not one to be shy and always had a good story to tell, gave the writer plenty of story ideas, which he used in later publishings. One of his most popular was Holding Up a Train. Porter also encouraged Al to write a book of his own. Al Jennings was a free man as of 1902, thanks to a few technicalities, and then received a full pardon by President Teddy Roosevelt. It's rumored that the president and Al's father, Judge Jennings, were friends. He turned from his life of crime and reverted back to his first love, law, with a side of politics. He warned others off the enticement of outlaw life, saying, In the end, it's a losing game. Sooner or later, it winds up with stripes or bullets or hemp, and all along, it's hell and high water. He managed to win a Democratic nomination for Oklahoma County Attorney, but lost in the general election. Bumping up his campaigning skills and taking the advice from his writer friend, Al decided to write and publish his autobiography titled Beating Back in 1913. How much fact is actually in the book is questionable. It portrayed the law as heartless persecutors of the innocent and why Al had to turn to his outlaw ways because of it. He told his audience of the shootout that cost him and his brothers their law practice, and his original ply for the outlaw life was to seek revenge on the men who shot and killed his brother. He talked of his exploits as notorious gunslinging bandit and was also quite forthcoming about his time in prison. However much truth is contained within its pages, it was quite the adventure in the telling and it gained Al the notoriety he was searching for. We've all survived history class. My history education was all about cramming dates and names and battles into my teenage brain in order to pass the newest test to make the school look good. I didn't really enjoy history until I was able to revisit it and see that history was made up of people, just like me. They had struggles, they had joy, they had sadness, and they felt victories. It became so very real to me. And now, I'm on a mission to revisit as much history as I can. Hello, my name's Elizabeth Bougeret. I'm a full-time author and a full-time traveler, and I would love to share what I'm learning with you. Come with me. See my sights and stories as I go. I love history now. Real history. Not just the dates and battles. And I've discovered that others do too. So, I've created a group in Facebook, and I'd love for you to join me on my travels and adventures. 
let me reintroduce you to a history that's made up of people, places, adventures. I'll even throw in a few battles for good measure. If you love American history with a side of travel, I'm sure you'll enjoy this group. Join me over there. Search the Facebook groups for History Revisited, I'm the one with the blue feather, or type in historyrevisited.info in the search bar and then join in on the adventure. And so I can be sure to welcome you properly, be sure to say hello. Not waiting for the sparks to die off, he turned his book into a movie in 1914, playing himself as the lead. This was not his first time dabbling in the new art of moving pictures, however. In 1908, he recreated one of his bank robberies for a short one-reel cleverly titled The Bank Robbery. We're not really sure if this was one of his bank robberies since that wasn't much of his forte, but he certainly took the credit for the riveting not really riveting, 19-minute storyline. This short, silent film had such an interesting collaborating team that I really wanted to add it into Al's episode. It was directed by well-known career lawman Bill Tillman, who was best known for apprehending outlaw Bill Doolin of the most powerful outlaw group in the Indian Territory in the 1890s, the Wild Bunch Gang. The film was helped along by Tillman's deputy, Heck Thomas, whose claim to fame is shooting the very same Bill Doolin when he escaped from the jail. Other featured names in the making of this 19-minute classic was Frank Canton, a wildly feared gunfighter from the Oklahoma Territory, and Quana Parker, who was a fierce tribal leader of the Quahade Banch of Comanche. He allowed the film to use his personal stagecoach, and also played one of the lawmen to help capture the robbers. Kwana's daughter, Nita Songbird, also makes an appearance as a customer for the bank. This was probably one of the biggest events that happened in Cash, Oklahoma history, I'm sure. Jennings loved to tell the story that during the filming of the bank robbery, a bystander heard the shooting and the commotion and thought a real robbery was in progress, so he jumped out the window to fetch the sheriff who was probably already there, probably being filmed. I have to doubt the story is true because in the film, the cameraman pans out and you see all of the residents of Cache, Oklahoma, watching the film's production. I don't think this particular robbery was a surprise to anyone. <laughs> Another piece of trivia, clips from this movie were actually used in the opening of the 1993 movie Tombstone. Back to our regular story. In the same year of his starring role in Beating Back, 1914, piggybacking on his celebrity, he decided to have a run for the office of governor of Oklahoma. He was honest about his past and hoped to win votes based on that honesty. However, he was also quoted as saying, If elected, I promise to be honest for a year. If I can hold out that long. <laughs> With a campaign like that, how could he go wrong? In his speeches, he would declare, quote, There, I've told you everything I ever did. Now suppose these machine fellows tell what they've done. And in case their memory goes back on them, I'll supply a few details right here. <laughs> the New York Times shared their opinion by reviewing his book, or rather renaming his book, saying, How I Robbed Trains by a Candidate for Governor, 
Al Jennings, reformed outlaw and ex-convict who expects to chief executive of Oklahoma, tells the story of his exploits as the head of the Jennings gang. (sighs) With such an endorsement from the New York Times, it wasn't much of a surprise when Al Jennings could not add Oklahoma governor to his resume. Undaunted, he pressed ever forward. His tall tales and amiable personality made him a perfect fit for the gloss and shine of Tinseltown. And Hollywood took a liking to him as well. He was, after all, a real-life cowboy. He convinced enough film producers that he was an expert on banditry and the Wild West to earn a comfortable living and a healthy taste of fame. He became known as a consultant and an actor in over 100 silent films and early talkies. He found himself a piece of land in California and liked nothing more than to regale guests with his yarns of notorious outlaw days. Al would claim that he once shot 18 men in the throat so they couldn't talk back. But then again, there is no evidence that he ever shot or killed anyone. Another favorite is to claim that he was the fastest gun on the range, besting Jesse James in a gunfight robbing more trains and killing more men than Billy the Kid. Well, Jesse James died in 1882, long before outlawed Al Jennings turned to his life of crime in 1896. By far, his favorite thing was a great story and a warm audience. He once sued the producers of the Lone Ranger radio serial for $100,000. The suit was for defamation of character. In one episode, the Lone Ranger was to have shot a gun from Al Jennings' own hand. Jennings proclaimed that the show's writers, quote, belittled his prowess as a gunman, end quote. The case went to trial and Jennings got his day in court. He had the jury in the palm of his hand explaining that he was an expert gunman. He told stories of historically fictionalized life to back up his claims and the audience, uh, rather the jury, was riveted to his every word. Therefore, says he, the Lone Ranger couldn't have possibly shot the gun from my hand. The jury, although thoroughly entertained, did not side with Jennings. He lost the case. He lived a full life, full of adventure, and was happy to lean back in any chair with feet propped up and tell a story or two. In 1951, his colorful, mostly imagined life became a movie starring Dan Nurye in the starring role. Al Jennings of Oklahoma became his truth. He claimed he was a sharpshooter and the fastest gun on the range, and his friends were there to tease him and say he's the fastest talker and couldn't hit the side of a barn. A man that made the most out of his life as a law man, an outlaw, and a Hollywood star. Just a yarn-spinning cowboy from Oklahoma that made a life for himself and spent his days remembering it the way he wanted until his death in 1961. He's laid to rest in the Oklahoma Memorial Park Cemetery in Chatsworth, California, one of the greatest outlaws of the Old West in his own mind. Bag of Bones is researched and recorded by Elizabeth Bougeret, produced by the Ragtag Network and History Revisited, music by Johnny Reed, copyrights by Elizabeth Bougeret and DCT Enterprises.